Welcome to the EIS Navigator. I'm your host, Brian Moretta. Although we seem to be past the crisis, macro uncertainty still abounds in the UK and global economies, but how will it affect startups? Ian McKinnon from Maven has been investing for well over a decade, and he draws on his experience to discuss the effect that the employment market, inflation, and money supply have all been having. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget you can subscribe through all good podcast services or following the link in the show notes. If you have any suggestions for future topics or guests, then you can email us at inquiries at harmonandco.com. Without any further ado, enjoy this episode. So I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Ewan McKinnon, who is a partner at Maven. Welcome to the podcast, Ewan. Hello, Brian. Good to, good to meet you. It's good to meet you too. As usual, we'd like to start by getting to know a little bit more about you. So can you mm-hmm. tell us how you became involved in venture capital? Sure. Um, a slightly different background to certainly many of my peers. Um, I graduated from university back in 98. And rather than going on to do um, chartered accountancy, which most of my um, classmates um undertook i went into family business actually and i worked in that business for about eight years Mm -hmm. um photographic retail um back in the days when you bought um equipment in a shop and there was no internet or the internet was certainly very early in those days there was no digital cameras let alone mobile phones with cameras on them Mm -hmm. so we used to buy film and develop those uh the film in our shops we actually had 20 shops throughout scotland and one in Northern Ireland. Uh-huh. But the early 2000s, the market obviously changed dramatically as, as digital photography took off. And um, I decided that I could see the market really coming to an end for traditional photography and, and decided to sell the business. I successfully sold that in 2006 to a fairly well-known, uh, listed at the time, um, corporate. I think um, I know who that might be. I think you might you might know who that was, and 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 yeah, I mean, we we got out at the, at the right time. I mean, the market did did change very very quickly thereafter, and um, thankfully we we sold at the right time in, in the market. So at that, at that at that stage, I was I had a bit of a, a bit I was at a bit of a crossroads. I then went to train as a as a tar- chartered accountant. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually ended up working for the corporate finance advisor who advised us all the way through and and helped us sell um, sell the business. So I went to corporate finance, uh, so I was slightly later starting in, in, in my accountancy profession, did that for three years. And during that time, I came across private equity. Obviously, I was advising on, on several private equity deals mm-hmm. and venture capital deals. Um, got to know the people at Aberdeen Asset Management, which is the precursor of Maven. And um, I was offered a role when Maven was established. I was one of the first, I think I was the first new employee at Maven. That's when Maven spread Maven. Exactly, when Maven span out from, from Aberdeen. And, and for me, coming into the world of venture capital was a natural progression for, for, for a couple of reasons. One, I obviously worked in, in, in corporate finance, had the accountancy knowledge, but two, I'd gone through you know, eight years of growing a business very, very quickly and ultimately selling that business. And I had that knowledge of what all, all the issues you go through building a business, growing mm-hmm. it, all the pains, dealing with, you know, dealing with banks, dealing with staff, um, you know, market changes. So, you know, quite a lot of knowledge and, and ultimately selling it. Mm-hmm. And I also had the accountancy knowledge. So for me, it seemed to be a natural progression to move into into the world that I now work in. And that was that was 14 years ago now. Uh, and I'm still I'm still here, still still loving what I do. Mm-hmm. It's always good if you can find something you love. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So do you want to tell a little bit more about Maven? I mean, we had one of your colleagues on I think Michael Salah was on episode 55. Michael, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Not everybody will remember what Michael said. So tell us a little bit more about Maven. Yeah, sure. So we are an alternative asset manager. Um, we are, as I said earlier, a spin out uh, from Aberdeen Asset Management, uh, established in 2009. And at that time, we we focused solely on, on the venture capital trusts. Uh, and I think back in 2009, we had around about £100 million of, of assets under management um, through our, our VCTs. 
since since we undertook the buyout, we've grown the business significantly. The VCTs are still our biggest asset class, but they have almost trebled in size as we've grown grown those 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 funds under management. Okay. Uh, we also have regional funds which we operate on behalf of the British Business Bank, offering growth capital okay. to mainly earlier stage businesses in the VCTs. We sort of start ups and very early stage growth growth businesses. We have a buyout uh, side of the business doing bigger buyout transactions. Okay. And then we've also got a property arm to the business uh, funding, mainly student accommodation and hotel accommodation. So I think the last time I looked, we've got roughly three quarters of a billion of, of assets under management now. Mm-hmm. We're big proponents of the regional funding model. You can tell mm-hmm. from my accent that I'm from north of the border. Um, we were uh, initially initially established up here. Um, we have two offices in Scotland, and we have another eight offices throughout the the, the UK and England. So we like to be in the regions that we invest in. We like mm-hmm. to be close to the companies that we work with, uh, and the advisors that, um, that that introduce deals to us. So we like to be close to the businesses we operate in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one. Of, well, I think one of our USPs that we're not solely focused on the London and the Southeast. Mm-hmm. We are really, we really like to be close to the businesses in the regions of the UK. Oh. Yeah, and there's only really only two or three fund managers in the space who 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 operate like that. So yeah, foresight, foresight, mercy, and and ourselves are probably the three that would come to mind. Some some mm-hmm. others have you know maybe have a, a wider regional presence. Um, but there's not many that are across the whole of the UK yeah. like we are. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is a USP, and it seems to be a theme that recurs on this about regional investing and trying to, and and then the issues that raises. But we're going to talk about something else today. So I think when we think about venture capital and sort of the macro sort of situation, mm-hmm. usually. I think what most people talk about is how independent the startup world is of the global macro situation. And while there's an element of truth, it's not the entire truth. So I, today we're going to dig into that a little bit, I think. Mm. And I think one of the things that affects that, that truth is the stage of development of companies. So do you want to talk a little bit about how different stages of companies perhaps view different aspects of the macro sort of situation because things are looking a bit choppy so it's going to be extra interesting yeah absolutely and it is it's very interesting and it's been it's been a really interesting interesting few years we've obviously had covid and all the the ramifications mm-hmm. from the pandemic and then post the pandemic we've had the the energy crisis the cost of living crisis and now inflation interest rates where they are so mm-hmm. we've gone through a pretty <laughs> a pretty pretty um uh, pretty uh, difficult period from an economic point of view. I suppose from from where we operate, and and the VCTs mainly invest in early stage, high growth businesses. Mm -hmm. So sometimes situations like this will prove uh, an opportunity from an entrepreneur maybe to Mm -hmm. establish a business. And that might be through unfortunate circumstances where they may have been made redundant, or they can see that forthcoming, or they can see and an issue in the market that they operate in that they can do better. Mm-hmm. So actually, what you what you what you do see, and what we've seen in, in this in this period of economic difficulty, is you do find some really good opportunities as people decide I want to go and try and do something differently. So that mm-hmm. that that does that does pose pose itself. Yeah. What what we have seen is, I mean, the, the types of companies that we invest in, first of all, don't typically have any third party debt on their balance sheet because they're too early they they Mm -hmm. can't service that debt so they're not being impacted by the high interest rates that you're seeing elsewhere Mm -hmm. if you contrast that with the the buyout side of our business where there might be leverage on the balance sheets or they're you know looking for looking for opportunities where you need a bank to to be able to fund something Mm -hmm. that's entirely different i mean interest rates where they are now means you know the banks are 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 lending at you know eight, nine, 10% uh, interest rates, which mm-hmm. is significantly higher than than where it was, you know, even 12 months ago. Yeah. And yeah. the cost of capital is obviously dramatically increased because of that. The VCTs don't operate in that space. So, the, you, you know, there isn't that, there isn't that issue of having to service debt. Mm-hmm. What, what there is and has been, however, is inflationary pressures across the companies, mm-hmm. uh, and, and some of them will be impacted by, in particular, the energy uh, increase in energy costs. Now, tech businesses, again, 
on the whole don't aren't big consumers of energy thankfully mm-hmm. it's not the, the types of companies that we invest in aren't in, in in retail or hospitality so they don't have multi-site multi-sites that you know the sort of where i came from mm-hmm. where you know if you've got a 20 site um, retail chain with you know your energy cost doubling trebling that will make a big impact on your on your PL. Mm-hmm. the types of companies that maven invests in aren't in that space. So the energy cost increase hasn't really impacted them. What they have found, however, is wage inflation has been has been challenging. Um, trying mm-hmm. to keep staff has been difficult mm-hmm. and trying to recruit staff in particular in the past was very, very difficult. What I would say we've found in the last 12 months is that has eased somewhat. And I think as some of the bigger um, tech companies have, have unfortunately been laying people off, mm-hmm. that has provided some opportunities for smaller tech companies to get talent. Mm-hmm. And often getting talent has been one of the limiting factors on growth. You know, the capital's there, but the talent hasn't been there and, and getting talent has been difficult. And that's been a constraining factor. I would say that is starting to change. Mm-hmm albeit it's still it's still difficult to to attract talent yeah i mean certainly i i I think for some time getting a good developer has not been easy and that's not something that's planned the last six or 12 months that's been for several years that for several years and actually what what we found a, a number of companies are able to do is get developers elsewhere elsewhere in europe mm-hmm. and actually ukraine was was actually a very good hunting ground for really good developers now of course that's now gone mm-hmm. but brexit has impacted the ability to get um staff as well we've found so when and the recruiting you say get, get going to europe is that getting europeans to come here or is that just sub- basically bit, subcontracting or or setting subcontracting up operations or, 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 or setting operations overseas that mm-hmm. sometimes has happened or as you say recruiting uh, recruiting developers into the uk but there's no doubt about it. Software engineers have for some time been very difficult to co- to come by. Mm-hmm. And then post-pandemic, what, what you found was in the, re- the regions that we were operating in, you know, let's take Newcastle for an example, suddenly software developers in Newcastle were being offered roles in London that they could they could remotely they could work mm-hmm. remotely, but they were getting paid London salaries. So companies were having to try and readjust their salary levels to, to to compete not with the northeast but now with the southeast mm-hmm. which is obviously very difficult to do so yeah i mean the last three four years has been difficult to get talent mm-hmm. i i you know i was down in in reading on um of tuesday at this of this week and i met one of our portfolio companies and interestingly they were also of the view that in the last nine months they found it difficult to to, to sorry they found it less difficult to get talent and a lot of those a lot of the people they're managing to recruit have come out from the big tech companies as they've started to to lay people off. Yeah. And to what extent are we seeing that in the UK? Because I, I've seen a lot of headlines from the US about, mm. well, Twitter, Twitter's kind of maybe not typical, but maybe yeah. more Facebook and, and Google and you know, where I think you've had a lot of companies in Silicon Valley, very well-funded, perhaps too well-funded. They've recruited ahead of growth. Yes. And now they're sort of saying, well, actually, we're probably overstaffed. Maybe that's a, they're not as optimistic about growth. Maybe they're, maybe they're just over-recruited because it's just like when you've got money in the bank, you tend to spend yep. it. To what extent is that true of the UK? Because I'm, I'm yeah. not aware of the UK being impacted quite the same way as the US. I, don't, I think you're right. I don't think it's been quite the same, but I still think there has been. I mean, there's definitely been examples of some of the big tech companies that you mentioned with UK operations where they have um, downsized and mm-hmm. there, has been, there has been redundancies. And, you know, they will often, they will often obviously try and, and move on their more expensive staff. And sometimes they're the type of, type of you know, people that our businesses need. So, you know, we have definitely seen that, that there's been an easing in the ability to get people. Mm-hmm. There's more people on the market. The market's still very, very tight, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but it's not quite as as difficult as it mm-hmm. was um, 12, 18 months ago. Yeah, yeah. And with the work from home, is that something that's seen as a key factor for recruiting in terms of work from home hybrid? Because it's another area I hear a lot of stories about, well, if you want a good person, you're going to have to give them, in some sense, the terms of what they want in terms of, okay, you come into the office one or two days a week or maybe not at all for some, is that still the sort of things we're that, seeing? That's, I think that's changing, Brian. I think mm-hmm. that is changing. I mean, some companies have it within their psyche and within their culture that 
hybrid is and maybe always has been pre-covid very much part of the of the business model mm. you know we certainly have a couple of companies in our portfolio where they have either a hybrid policy or in fact some cases entirely remote policy mm. i think what we are seeing though is those those companies that used to be predominantly office space that moved to hybrid or moved to remote during COVID and then slowly mm. came back to a hybrid policy, they now do seem to be swinging back to having people mm. in the office. And I think that, um, you know, people are recognising the benefits of having staff in an office, in particular for younger, less experienced members of staff mm -hmm. who, you know, being at home can be lonely and you're certainly not learning on the job as you would if you have people around you. Mm -hmm. You know, that there's that informal osmosis of learning that yeah. just doesn't happen when you're when you're stuck at home on your own. So I would say more companies now are, are bringing staff mm -hmm. back into the office, not five days a week, but certainly we're seeing more moving towards two, three, four days mm -hmm. a week. And from speaking to the advisory community who are, you know, accountants, corporate financiers, lawyers, they're definitely moving that way as well. And again, I think it's an indication of the, the employment market loosening slightly. 12 months ago, they were worried that if we ask people to come back into the office, they'll just go and move to another role where mm -hmm. they can work from home. I think that's now changing. And you're now seeing people saying, listen, we want you back in the office yeah. um, for you know, the, the, the majority of the week. Um, and, and there does seem to be a, a shift in, in that mm -hmm. in that. To, towards that so do you think that's going to be good for startups i think there's there's a big debate about how flexible startups can be and people you know, on one side people say startups have that flexibility can generate whatever culture they want but yeah if you're at that particularly early stage ideation minimum viable product finding that product market fit trying to do that when your team's in different places and generating a culture at the same time strikes me as being very hard. Once you've very grown up and you've got more, some, maybe a more process-driven, maybe remote work could work a bit better. But I totally uh, agree. I, th I, think, I think, you know, when you're when you're starting up right at the very start you can you know you can maybe do it on a shoot you have to do it in a shoestring and therefore you uh -huh. don't want to have shiny offices but you need you need uh -huh. to you need to be together you need to be bouncing ideas off you and, and teams is great i mean we're obviously communicating over teams today and and i think that will always be there uh -huh. But you can't replace the the face to face interaction and the brainstorming that can happen that, that occurs naturally. And mm -hmm. you know, if if somebody has an as a a thought, an idea, a question, they'll always ask the person next to them very quickly. Can I just quickly ask you something? You do, you don't do that over Teams. You don't pick up your headphones or go and find the person on 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 your on on Teams mm -hmm. or on Zoom and and ask them a silly question. You'll always do that. When they're when they're sat next to you in a room, so I do think for for startups when they've got a team that in their infancy, having them together is 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 beneficial without a doubt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, and I do wonder what you know teams. Well, I, I see Tack as teams with a bit of a poor man's slack in some ways, but um, that's very harsh. But that's my perspective. In terms of using these sort of tools, are we going to see? use of these tools going backwards in some sense or do you think it's there's opportunities for other tools to come in and be used instead because now we're back to more office environments yeah i mean i think it's not it's not going to wait it's not going to go away now is it mm -hmm. i mean it's yeah. it's you know i'm still although you know i've been back in the office since you know 2020 you know and um but i still used i do still use teams more than than well i never used it before the pandemic mm -hmm. if i'm honest with you so i'm still using teams but i don't think it replaces face-to-face -face meetings so if i'm if i'm meeting advisors if i'm meeting a company i want to do that face-to-face -face. what where teams is helping us as a firm is you know maybe the first meeting you'll you might do over teams um, mm -hmm. to save to save traveling I mean, you know if i if i'm traveling to london and I, for an hour meeting i can now do that over teams initially and then thereafter you can do you can do that face to face mm -hmm. so it's it's helpful it, it is definitely can you know it can definitely help the pnl from a cost saving point of view reduce you reduce travel and accommodation but it does not 
does not replace face to face. So I I don't see it going away. I don't see its its usage increasing. I think we're now going back a bit to the old fashioned ways of doing business, which I think is a good thing. And I think it's actually really important for for our local economies as well. You know, you you, you do see walking around towns and cities in the UK that they have been impacted by the pandemic and, and you know, simple things like coffee shops and sandwich shops have been massively impacted mm-hmm. by people not returning to work. So I think I think it's necessary. Otherwise some of our smaller towns and cities will 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 struggle to recover. Mm-hmm. And you know, they could become ghost towns. Yeah, yeah. And and even now we're seeing I mean Thursday's New Friday kind of thing. Where... It is. I mean I was I was in London la um you know I I I typically come down Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday down to London and I was down a couple of Mondays ago and I was I was shocked at the difference in terms of number of people in London on a Monday, there's, there's, you know, the, there's definitely a, mm-hmm. a swing to having Monday and Friday at home and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in, mm-hmm. in the office. And you, you saw that, that, you know, the tube was quiet on the Monday. Mm-hmm. It was, it, you know, it was like, I was in the city of London. It was like being there the weekend almost. It was that quiet. Yeah. So um, you are seeing that. Yeah. I mean, I've been down sort of a couple of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday things where I've had mm-hmm. something on Thursday night and trying to arrange yeah. Friday meetings is almost impossible. Uh, it's impossible. It is. So I, 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 will that will that change? Yeah, maybe slowly change, but it's. I, I think the five-day week is, is, is going to be difficult to get people back in. And I, I use, you know, my local train station as a barometer. So um, mm-hmm. pre-pandemic, you know, it was difficult to get a space Monday to Friday now now tuesday wednesday thursday it's back to being really difficult to get a mm-hmm. space in fact i would say it's even busier than it was pre-pandemic I, I don't know what's driving that but mondays and fridays i got the train this morning you know there was it was two-thirds empty so mm-hmm. it just shows you that you know this you know a lot of people definitely definitely choose which mm-hmm. days they want to come in and, and and what days they want to be in the office yeah. yes in case anyone's wondering about that comment we're we're, we're recording this on a friday so yes it is a friday but as you can see i'm in the office today yes <laughs> <laughs> so you touched on inflation as well mm. and i think inflation is a really inter- interesting topic in some ways because what we're seeing is a kind of a different inflation cycle from maybe some patterns in the past because it seems that while well, people talk about money supply and, and whatever clearly there are issues around disruption from pandemic post supply chain globalization all these sort of issues in there as well affecting inflation you mentioned energy too how do some of these different factors affect you I mean you touched on energy earlier and clearly that's an important cost for people we've seen problems with supply chains whatever how is that really affecting startup yeah i mean we're lucky in, in maven and that we've got a, a really big portfolio of companies and we've got everything from very early stage, we, you know, some, some of the regional funds do invest in startups and um, VCTs, we typically invest slightly later, but they're still early stage mm-hmm. companies all the way through to we've got a, a, a number of much more mature businesses in the portfolio. What I would say about inflation is that it and, and supply chain inflation, it has been impacting more of the latter stage companies than mm-hmm. the earlier stage companies, Brian. Because you know no, m- most of these early stage companies are tech businesses; they're mm-hmm. not building things anymore. Right. So you know it's it, there's definitely less of an impact. However, what we've seen with many of the larger portfolio companies is difficult to get items, difficult to get stock. If you're a manufacturing business, mm-hmm. many, many items have gone up in price significantly, mm-hmm. you know, if, you know, no matter what you're making. So raw material prices have, have without a doubt, uh, increased significantly. Mm-hmm. And, and, and some of those are starting to subside now. But even if you look at it compared to two years ago, those prices are, mm-hmm. are a, lot, lot, a lot, lot bigger. Tech businesses, less of an issue because most of these are, um, you know, software companies, SaaS, software as a service. Mm-hmm. So you're not, you don't have that, raw material impact mm-hmm. that you do if you're a manufacturing business and, and, and but what they have had to deal with is is is, is wage inflation and, and, and what we discussed earlier that's been the biggest impact that they've had to mm-hmm. face yeah and in terms of inflation i think i i hear i hear stories only about companies larger companies in particular who are on you know they're doing their earnings call and they're saying well actually inflation everyone's expecting to go up we just hiked prices 10 percent, and everybody took it and it's like hooray yeah. you know and hence we're yeah and they've it's translated a positive margin for these 
Is that something startups have the capability to in terms of, sort of charging higher prices? Because they've got higher costs. They obviously want to be charging higher prices. I'm not sure if it's quite as easy for them. Yeah, it's probably, you know, it's, it, it, it's not. And a lot of the companies, the startups and really early stage companies are maybe not quite as commercially savvy as these big companies will have mm-hmm. you know they'll have a head, head of mm-hmm. head of head of buying they'll have a sales director they'll have all these senior people that will be speaking to the market know what the market norms are know what their competitors are charging and can can price accordingly you know if you're a startup if you're a ceo of a startup mm-hmm. you probably wear four four hats and you're trying to juggle <laughs> sales development uh, recruitment etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. and i think sometimes you will you know, it's not. Of course, it's not finger in the air, but you will try. You will estimate what you mm-hmm. think you're, 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 you can sell at. And um, you know, we, we've, you know, when we we invest in businesses, we obviously take um, board seats, and we we often challenge our teams about, you know, are are you, you know, what are you selling at? Where do you get that price from? And can you charge more? And you'd be surprised the amount of times that you can push mm-hmm. the price up a little bit because many of these companies have a, you know, have a, a disrupting technology there's nothing else out there so mm-hmm. it's actually difficult to to price because it's so different yeah and how but but there are opportunities maybe you can push that 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 price up you also find earlier stage companies can sometimes be reluctant to to push pricing up because they're scared that mm-hmm. being a small business and i'm dealing with a much larger purchaser that they're just going to say no and i've got nowhere to go mm-hmm. but you'd be very surprised especially in this environment where actually you can say well listen my everything's gone up i'm having to pay the staff more mm-hmm. using the same the same excuses that we you know we've just talked about and you can actually push mm-hmm. that up so you know we say to our, our smaller companies don't be don't be ashamed that you're small and there's only you know, a small team and don't feel that you you're not able to be um you're able to put your prices mm-hmm. up and, and don't feel that you're being bullied into maintaining your prices lower and you're you know you're having to you're having to accept lower margins mm-hmm. you should be able to go and, and, and increase your pricing where need be mm-hmm. and, and many of them uh, we've seen in recent in recent months have been able to do that yeah and certainly it's something i've heard I've heard one of two venture capitalists sort of saying, yeah, their first advice almost any startup is kind of double your price. Yeah. Because there's this feeling that your startup founders tend to undervalue what they do. Absolutely. And it's, it's one of the things, you know, you, you, day one, you've got a value creation plan. You, you know, mm-hmm. your 100-day plan is now value creation mm-hmm. plan because, you know, you've got, to, you've got to look at value beyond the 100 days. But it's always one of the very first things you look at is is the pricing model, mm-hmm. uh, and and absolutely there's there there are umpteen opportunities of being able mm-hmm. to 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 increase that. Yeah, yeah. And for having said that, the counter argument at the moment is, is particularly in B two B, you've got a lot of companies that have they've got co- their own costs going up, they've got staff costs going up, they've got sometimes costs of raw materials, as you say, going up, yeah. energy costs. They've perhaps taken out too many B2B SaaS subscriptions. You know, so when times are good, they've sort of just said, oh, yeah, we'll try that, we'll try that, yeah. we'll try that. And does, you know, some of them have been cutting back and, they, you know, does that make it harder for the pricing or is it just a case of it sort of differentiates a bit more between different startups in terms of, you know, will the disruptive ones actually get through? And, and if you've just got a Me Too, you're kind of stuffed can do it can do and i think also it depends on the your the customer base you deal with you you, you t- sometimes find that if you're dealing with enterprise clients mm-hmm. that they are more sticky it's it's a lot it's typically a longer sales cycle mm-hmm. so it might take you longer to get to actually win win a sale but often there's less attrition with those customers than there are maybe if you're dealing with smes you mm-hmm. might find the churns churn is is longer, uh, mm-hmm. so it's, it's bigger. The, uh, conversely, it can be quicker to win those customers. So mm-hmm. you, it's often a journey. You start dealing with those those companies that are SMEs and easier to deal with, and, and get a, a flag in the ground and prove yourself with case studies and and, and grow mm-hmm. your ARR. And then as as you grow, you can then start targeting the, the sort of enterprise style uh, customers. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the you know the 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 the, the ARR per client grows quite considerably but you often find as well that the, the churn drops uh, as, as a result of that yeah and it seems to me that's a tricky balance to manage because while enterprise is attractive as you say it's harder to get into but the sme clients can f- sort of feel left behind and sometimes i i hear stories about the sme market 
lots of times somebody kind of starts from that, gets a toehold, gets a, and then uses a springboard, and the SME, you know, the SMEs are just like, well, we still don't yeah. have anything about, for what, us. What about me? And I, I, you know, we've got. I can I can think of two or three examples of of companies that have decided to go back to the SME market, and you know, mm-hmm. they, they they felt that you know, going after enterprise club customers is the holy grail and then they actually find out that it's it's not uh-huh. and, and dealing with smes you know the a market they know they understand their smes themselves is where uh-huh. they is where they want to be so sometimes you'll actually find that that, that, that you know they do they do pivot back to where they where they started from uh-huh. yeah I, I guess that must be quite a hard thing to do because you, psychologically you've kind of as you say there's this playbook would be an exaggeration but mm. I, I think it's kind of you know you know, you see things like crossing the chasm, you know, it's this classic thing where you've got, okay, you've got this toe hold, you find these first customers and then you use the springboard to the big things in particularly in B2B, where where that's, as you say, the big bucks, which can just... Yeah, I, 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 absolutely. But I think I think you do you do recognise, depending on what you're selling, but mm-hmm. you, it, it can take time to recognise that there is an awful lot of effort that goes into mm-hmm. dealing with enterprise customers, winning them in the first place. And um, sometimes that means that your growth is, mm-hmm. you know, it starts to starts to subside as you mm-hmm. try and win, win these customers. And if you're paying, you know, sales team big salaries, especially if you're in, you know, especially if it's international, if you, you know, try and recruit a sales team in the US, it's extortionate wages most US states expect. Mm-hmm. That if it's taking you 12, 18 months to win your first client, you know that's big cash burn, and mm-hmm. whereas if you can be nimble and go after some SMEs, it mm-hmm. it, 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 um, it can certainly mm-hmm. help in terms of the, your your growth journey. Yeah. So, do you think there's kind of differentiated pricing power that these these startups will have within in the enterprise or the sort of SME market? Because it sounds to me, you know, and again, talk about negotiating power. The big enterprise, in some sense, will feel like they've got more negotiating power, or the S or the startup will selling into that will fight will feel like you know they can bring 20 executives in if they really want to and you've just got you, yeah. your, your salesman yeah absolutely i mean yeah yes yeah the, 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 you, you know you when you go and speak to an enterprise client you'll always well, you should always seek to to charge a, a higher price than you would mm-hmm. i mean it's you know the cost the cost to service these customers is usually a lot more mm-hmm. but you're dealing with very well versed buyers on the other side who mm-hmm. will you know who will negotiate mm-hmm. and um, what what you found was during during difficult times whether that was covid the cost of cost of uh, cost of living crisis you know they were straight on the phone to their supply chain no matter how big or small you are demanding we we need you know we, we need cuts of five ten whatever mm-hmm. the number was percent yeah. you know that they they you know they were taught right you go right down so it doesn't matter if you're a small arr business you know mm-hmm. with 10 staff they will still be phoning you and expecting yeah. a price reduction whereas less you know the smaller the mm-hmm. smaller clients are, are won't do that they're not you know it's more about relationships and and and, and looking other ways but the big companies they're they're ruthless when it comes to that yeah and i bet they're not ringing up after you now covid's past saying oh that's fine we can move it back <laughs> All right, that's the most difficult. Once you've moved it down, it's very difficult to get it back up, isn't it? That, that's true. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So the other thing you mentioned in passing was interest rates and sort of money supply and money using. Mm. Now, we've discussed an awful lot about funding and sort of supply of funding, ease of funding in, in, in the market. And I think that's been one of the big areas that we've seen over the last sort of couple of years where – Money supply is tightened. Funding has sort of disappeared. Well, not disappeared, but retrenched might be a better way of yeah. putting it. Yeah. That. How do you see that sort of panning out in the near future? I think. I mean, I think in the market we play in is it's less. It's less of an issue. Mm-hmm. I think you know. There's the, the VCT market is is well capitalized. You know we've we've all got and are all able to to raise money every year, looking for good homes to invest that capital in. You know the investors in VCTs like the product, and 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 there's a lot a lot of you know 
there's a lot of capital out there ready to find find home. So I think the supply in terms of the VCT market is, is as good as it's ever been. Mm-hmm. I think you know EIS as well. There's you know there's you know a load of EIS funds and EIS investors looking for looking for homes, and then the British Business Bank. I mean you know they I think it was when Rishi Sunak was was Chancellor announced I think it was 1.4 billion pounds mm-hmm. um, across across the regions. Now, it, it it is focused in the regions, not not in London, mm-hmm. the southeast. But that again is a Additional funding that's going from the southwest mm-hmm. all the way up to Scotland, looking for for you know earlier stage growth businesses. So, yeah. I think in the in the space we operate in, I think you know funding the supply of funding is not an issue. I think, however, if you are looking, you know, at, if if you're a bigger business looking for traditional bank debt, that's very difficult to get mm-hmm. now. Um, if you is that simply a cost, or is there a supply factor as well? I think there's a supply factor there as well. I think you know, 15 years ago, if you were looking to go and 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 open open up a new facility and you're looking for new machinery and and working capital facility, you would have gone to your local bank, and they would have they would have always supported you. I think mm-hmm. that's more difficult now. Having said that, I think there's a lot of alternative lenders that they weren't that there wasn't there 15 years ago and you look at the number of alternative lenders in the market and we had, we had and Lu- challenger banks yeah we also had louis taylor on the podcast oh yeah recently. yeah yeah uh, I, I, I was i was with louis yesterday believe it ah for the loans of the scotland Lost, fund what, yes well world yes yes so so he was talking about the efforts they're doing to fund alternative lenders and he yeah. was talking about the growth of the number of lenders in that i don't know if we're talking also to talk about the paradox of choice in terms of there's all these alternatives and different ones will suit different people. Absolutely. So it, it, it's now there's more options, but it's a, perhaps a harder market to navigate than previously. You would just go to Barclays or Lloyd's or whatever and say, give me what you and, and 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 we were Lou and I and I, we had a, we were on a round table yesterday and we were discussing exactly that that it, it is it's definitely more difficult for for SMEs to to know where to go. You know, mm-hmm. as, as we said before before you would go to your local bank manager. Now, where, where did they start? And a lot of SMEs are maybe not as well networked as, you know, certainly startups as as more established businesses who will have a, an accountant who would tell them where to go or a corporate finance advisor. If you're, if you're a startup, you know, you're, again, you're, you're trying to keep things tight and you, mm-hmm. you won't be paying professional advisors. So it, it's difficult sometimes to know where to go for funding. Mm-hmm. So that I think there are funding sources out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think sometimes uh, it's, you know, likes the British Business Bank or other funding sources could be, you know, there, there, there must be a way we could improve how we can communicate that to, to, to SMEs out there. Because, it, you know, it is, it is a bit of a minefield if you're trying to look for funding, grant funding, equity funding, debt funding, whatever that is, there's, you know, where, where do you start? I have seen one or two sort of consolidation type websites. Yeah, websites. I think um, that would be almost like a comparethemarket.com, yeah. but for but for funding, yeah. And we that we were we were touching upon that yesterday. I think mm-hmm. I think that would be a great thing for 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 early stage businesses. Yeah, I'm not sure how effective they are yet, and certainly there's none that have the the profile, as you say, of comparethemarket. No, market. not yet. But I believe some there are some. Uh, European countries that have ruled this out and very successfully. Uh, mm. I, there's a couple of European companies, and I think I heard either Australia or New Zealand are ruling something similar out that to allow that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so rolling out at state rest. level to uh, make yeah have a to, I, I, yeah yeah or I, I, whether it's a state level or whether it's just somebody's developed a platform that allows all all providers mm-hmm. to go onto it. For, I, I don't know the economic model, but I believe there are other countries have managed to rule something out. And I think, I think that would be great for, for the UK mm-hmm. if we looked at something similar. Yeah. Yeah. So are the banks kind of history, do you think now, or the big banks certainly in terms of, of the, the SME funding, because they, they seem to have been moving away from it, you know, and, and, and I, I, my impression is they're quite happy to lend it so long as there's like a property that can secure it on. But anything yeah, else they're think, a bit averse to. Yeah, they're certainly more risk averse, and that and that that goes right back to you know the 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 banking crisis in two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. Um, they will they you know listen we 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 have good relationships with 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 the, with the high street banks and they are still lending, but they are definitely more risk averse and you know they are more choosy than than mm-hmm. maybe where they were. It does help if you've got an asset backed uh, mm-hmm. or your asset backing. Definitely, mm-hmm. if you've got a property, that'll be fairly easy. But if you've got um, if you've got plant and machinery, even even if you've got a good debtor book, you know they'll be able to lend against it. Now that's great if you're an established business. And I think if you know established businesses are still able to borrow from from uh, the high street banks. If, however, it's a cash flow lend, 
that gets more difficult because mm-hmm. there's no collateral. If you're an early stage business that doesn't have a big debtor book, that is difficult. You've got, again, mm-hmm. there's no assets there. And if, as many early stage businesses do, if you've got a very concentrated customer list because you're just starting and you always mm-hmm. start with one or two, but you know, yeah. they won't lend against that because of the risk. So I think at the earlier stage, part of the market is very difficult for mm-hmm. um for lenders to 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 to, to lend against because uh, the risk the risk mm-hmm. profile is too high um, yeah. but i think for some of the more mature businesses that are generating cash that have got a good balance sheet to lend against the banks are still open for business there mm-hmm. but it's but it's a narrow it's a narrow customer yeah. set now yeah yeah and and do you think that's is is that a, a secular or a cyclical change do you think I think that's a permanent change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we, I think so because you know that's almost fifteen years ago. The 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 banking crisis. Mm-hmm. Was, you know, it's you know, and um, it hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. You know, they hasn't they haven't. You know, they, they might have moved slightly, but I don't. They've certainly not moved back to the way they were um, back back in the in the late two thousands. Now, mm-hmm. we could argue that they were too far the other way you know you know we saw what happened to royal bank of scotland in particular mm-hmm. um so you know I, I, they're never going to go back to to to, mm-hmm. to 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 lending as they were then but you mm-hmm. know i still think they're 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 they're, they're far more risk averse than, than than they were yeah but we also heard that some of the practice in there perhaps less than ideal as Slight, well yeah so so they so so they say <laughs> <laughs> love to be in a fly in the wall in those days but yes 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 so if we look forward, I think you know we start off by saying we're in an environment that's maybe a little bit uncertain. You know, certainly a year ago, the Bank of England turned around and said we're about to go into a long recession. Mm. Fortunately, that hasn't materialised. You know, I I, I, th- I think there's that we're still. It feels like we're kind of in a bit of a grind for a while, rather than outright recession or I don't I, I, or outright boom. Maybe you've yeah. got a different perspective. How do you see the next sort of year or two playing out in terms of the macro and how that's going to actually affect things? Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, it's a really difficult one to call, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's funny, I was speaking to, I maybe won't name the bank, but I was speaking to a senior exec at one of the banks yesterday, and he was telling me that his investment bank were saying that there's going to be three quarters of a recession. And his retail bank, with the same data, are saying one quarter of a recession <laughs> in the next in the next twelve months. So one, well, you know, different economists in the same organisation coming out with different different prognosis. I think a lot of it will depend on the the en- energy prices, uh, and obviously the war in Ukraine isn't isn't helping there. But you know, oil prices have started to go up quite considerably again. Uh-huh. And you know, if we're going to be living with $100 oil, that's going to obviously have an impact on inflation, and and, and growth will 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 slow down because of it. I think if there is a recession, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be a, a significant recession. I, I think you might have very small negative growth, mm-hmm. but it will be minimal. We're certainly not going to see we're certainly not going to see uh, boom days. I don't think I don't think that's the case. Having said that. I don't speak to any entrepreneurs or any businesses that are doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the market we're in are pretty optimistic and people are just right. How are we going to get, how we put this b- 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 to, to one side and get on with delivering our business plan and growing because we've got huge ambitions about mm-hmm. getting from here to here. Yeah. And, and we know that if we can get capital and we can get talent, then we can deliver this business plan. So mm-hmm. I think in the markets that we play in, it's less, it's less of an issue. I mean, mm. people are. And is that simply do, entrepreneurs, do the normal entrepreneur aspires to optimism? I, or is there a case of I, we're actually slightly independent of GDP growth because we're so small and we can find customers yeah. regardless? I think it's it's probably it's probably a bit of both. But it but it's funny if you look at if you look at twelve months ago post post the the infamous um, uh, budget in mm-hmm. September of last year, there was definitely a slowdown. Almost immediately after that, in new opportunities, and um, we, you know, we we monitor on a weekly basis introductions from 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 advisors and and, and direct direct um, inquiries, and that definitely 
took a nosedive following that 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 budget and took a while to recover. And I, I think the first six months in this year, we you know it was definitely quieter. The market was definitely quieter, but that's that's picked up significantly. And 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 you know from from probably early summer we noticed an uptick. So I think people have sort of right that's behind us now. We know we're not in a high growth environment at the moment. We know interest rates are where they are. We know inflation is where it is, and it might come down slowly. It probably mm-hmm. will, but. We've still got a great a great market to go after. We've got a great product or service. Let let's 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 crack on. So, yeah, in terms of things that we're seeing now, opportunities. It's it's as it's as 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 good as it's been since since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that all sounds remarkably optimistic. Didn't expect a hugely yeah. positive tone to come out the end. Yeah, I think I you know I think. If you'd asked me, if you'd asked me this nine months ago, I'd have been less optimistic, Brian. <laughs> but I do, I you know, just I, I, speaking to the team, uh, you know, catching up every week and seeing the opportunities that that we are, and um, that we're seeing some really interesting, really interesting business opportunities across the UK. And so it's not focused in the southeast. We're seeing from Edinburgh all the way down to the southwest. We are we're, we're seeing a lot of of of, of interesting opportunities. So mm. I think in the market we're in, I don't think it'll it'll um, it'll have a big um, impact on, on, on business aspirations. Mm-hmm. That's, that's good. That sounds remarkably positive. So we'll leave that on, on that positive note and move on to our yeah. favourite questions. Ah, uh-huh, okay. Uh, so we're going to throw these at you and we're going to get your yeah, thoughts. Yeah. Right. So what was the most recent publicly announced investment that you made and why do you make it? Right. Uh, okay. So um, now, We've got a deal that's completing today. I don't know if it's publicly announced yet, so I won't mention that just in case it's not. The last VCT deal that we completed was a business called Laverock, um, which is a really interesting uh, biotech business. Mm-hmm. It's a preclinical drug discovery business um, that's developing a, a gene silencing platform for next generation cell therapies. It's concentrating mainly on diabetes and solid mm-hmm. uh, tumour immunotherapy. Immunoth- so um, gene silencing, really is that nice like business. turning off genes that are doing things we don't want them to do? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So nice space. It's a 13.5 million funding round that we, we're part of. I mean, obviously, companies like this need a lot of capital mm-hmm. to, 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 to grow. Uh, why did we do this deal? Um, this one's quite an easy one. Uh, Ali Lindsay, my colleague in, in London, had backed the team in their prior business. Uh, so she knew them very well, mm-hmm. very successful entrepreneurs, had, a, had a, a, a biotech business that they went on to grow and successfully exit. So she knew the team. She stayed close to the team. When there was an opportunity to back them again, she was very keen to do that. And, mm. and that's why we invested in it. Okay. That sounds very promising. So in the classic VC triumvirate of market product and management, we know they're all very important, but which one for you is the most important? Management. Straight away, <laughs> management. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, obviously there needs to be a market. Um, you know, if there's no market, there's, there's, there's no opportunity. But if you, look at, if you look at the businesses that we've backed and have been successful versus those that have, have not been successful, it's usually almost always because of management. And I think I, and I tell, I tell the team this, if you have got a first class management team and average product and, and, and or, or service, you'll still do very well. If you've got a first class product and service with a bad management team, inevitably you won't. Mm-hmm. So for me, management all the time. And I think if you look at, if you look at success stories within maven it's because of because because of first class management teams and and often when things aren't going to plan and unfortunately in our in our roles we sometimes have to change management teams you'd be very surprised how quickly that can that can allow a business to recover so for Mm -hmm. me management okay tell us about a time you failed and what you learned from it okay um in business in business i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah okay um let me think it goes back to people again. If I think about those businesses that didn't go to plan, it was usually because of of people. Um, one, it wasn't actually a failure, Brian, but we invested in a company with a with an entrepreneur that was he was very good, but he was a bit of a control freak, and mm-hmm. he was also didn't didn't like to delegate. And I suppose the warning signs were there when we did the deal that he was the CEO, but he was also the sales director. And I think he did run the operations as well. Mm -hmm. 
but he that's said tricky because there, lots of startups must come along to, with that because to, that, there's nobody else. Yeah, but but this the, this business actually would have been about five six million revenue at the time, okay. so it was a bit more established, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, looking for looking for funding for growth, and and obviously was going to expand the team. And uh, during the process, one of the members of the team who was going to be the ops director actually uh, quit during during the process. And I think that was a sign that maybe he's not a team player. I mean, maybe he's very good at what he what he, what he does, but he's not actually a team player. And it actually proved to be proved to be the case as we went through the business. Now we actually made a made, a, made an okay return, but it was a really bumpy ride. Mm-hmm. And he was he was somebody that was just everything had to be. He was an absolute perfectionist, and therefore, unless people that he recruited could meet his very very high standards. He, he didn't want them and it didn't work out. So in the end, the business sort of flatlined. It, it couldn't grow because you can't grow unless you have a team around you. So mm-hmm. I think there probably was a warning sign there mm-hmm. that this wasn't this wasn't going to 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 work out. So yeah, that was one that it, it wasn't a failure, but it it, it 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 didn't work out. One that you know one one opportunity I did invest in that did end up. Um, we lost uh, we lost money on it. It wasn't a zero, but it, 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 we didn't get back cost. Again, was where we had a former owner. So this wasn't a, this wasn't a growth deal. This was a buyout who was still very much involved in the business from the side, and he didn't let his the buyout candidate, the MBO candidate, do what he wanted to do. He was always meddling from the side, mm-hmm. and actually he he was involved in other parts of the business that was difficult to neuter. So he was the landlord, for example. So. When it came mm-hmm. to to negotiate with them, you would always say, "Well, unless the rent's here, I could throw you out," and you know it would be incredibly difficult to deal with. So, I think sometimes when you're dealing with a former owner, it's good that they cut ties and let the management team get mm-hmm. on with what they're doing. And and sometimes having a, a former owner as a landlord or still involved in other parts of the business mm-hmm. can can really be difficult to deal with. Yeah, there's an implicit conflict of interest there. If you, if, if, no, if, yeah, if you keep them is. on and the interests are aligned, that's maybe got more potential. Yeah, but... do you know, absolutely. And I think and I think that that's the case. It, it, and therefore make sure that they've still got skin in the game so the interests are aligned so they're they're aligned with the growth of the business but if they've if they're if their only interest is the is the freehold property that mm-hmm. they own and they're charging you a rent then you know they've got <laughs> they've got they've got a, a conflict <laughs> yes 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 it's, it's it's tricky i know so the eis and vc industry in which we work is great in many ways but it's far from perfect is there anything mm-hmm. you would change about it yeah i mean it's i'd like it to be simpler it's a very complicated there's complicated rules and i think like anything in the uk tax you know tax regime you know rules just get they're just more and more rules are just piled on and mm-hmm. we know how the you know the, the number of tax the you know totally tax bible is up to the roof now and it used to be two or three high and i think the same goes for the vct rules the one in particular that comes to mind at the moment is the undertaking and difficulty rule which is um where What's a business that? is all oh, right, okay, this is an interesting <laughs> one. So it's it actually it actually stems from EU state aid legislation, um, and even though we've left the EU, we've 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 somehow managed to adopt this legislation, but make it even even more onerous than it was when we we're part of the EU. But where a business is seven years old, EIS or VCT mm-hmm. business, yeah. where it's seven years old, or if it's 10 years in the case of a knowledge intensive company, and more than 50% of the balance sheet has been extinguished through losses, a VCT or an EIS uh, investor is no longer allowed to follow investing in that company. So the idea behind this, because we've spoken at length with HM Treasury, is that once a business becomes seven or 10 years old, at that stage, it should be mature enough to attract mm-hmm money from yeah. the market and not from a tax advantage source of capital. But that is far too simplistic an approach because the likes of Laverock, which I've just mentioned to you, that will take many, many years and many, many funding rounds to get to profitability. Drugs and take a decade. Drug, drugs take, exactly. And, you know, companies like that will need a lot of funding and will lose money because you know you know r&d into types of businesses like that is extensive so i don't think a one-size-fits-all approach to age of company is right for the businesses we we invest in so you know if if there was one thing i could you know i could change it would be that once we've invested in an early stage business allow us to follow on until that business gets 
you know, gets to a, a, a um, gets to size and scale. Don't don't say oh, suddenly at seven years old you can't follow on funding mm-hmm. because I don't think that's that's fair for the companies or really nature of the of the spirit of of the of the VCT and the EIS rules. Yeah, yeah. No one's actually ever been able to give me a good justification of why seven years. Yeah, I, I, th- I honestly, I, and we're the same, and I don't know where that came from. I, I, I do think it's just a almost a finger in the air. Like seven years, let's let's go with that. I you think know, it, my, it doesn't make sense. That's kind of my impression. Where, yeah, I think the HMRC felt they needed to give something to you to sort yeah, of mollify them, and there's that. This idea obviously seven, popped up, and it's like, well, seven years, yeah. yeah. Because you know, I mean, we we used to say, you know, you invest in businesses for three to five years, and then you know, then they're ready to be sold, or you, you know, maybe you sell them to a to a bigger private equity household to help mm-hmm. help take them further. And I, I and I think the three to five year rules change now. I think it's four to seven years that we are typically invested in these companies for. For mm-hmm. you know, it does take longer, and they need further rounds of capital. Yeah. So that means you know. If it takes that long, you have to invest right at the right at the start. Otherwise, you'll, you you won't be able to follow on, mm-hmm. uh, unless the business unless the business um, doesn't lose half of its balance sheet. So I think I think that's something that needs to be addressed. And and to be fair, I think HM Treasury are amenable to to looking at that. We've we've had as a, as an industry, the VCTA have been speaking to to HMRC and HM Treasury about that, and and, mm-hmm. and they are looking at it. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I think that would be useful. Uh, you know, especially as time progresses and we're in these companies longer that you know it's it's very important that we can continue to back these companies yeah well we've seen put some positive announcements recently in terms of, sort of continuation of the schemes which i think's probably been a bigger Absolutely. focus the sunset clause yeah that's that that was a bigger focus and and listen i understand that you know government and, and the treasury have had probably far more pressing things to deal with <laughs> over the last few years but you know it doesn't you know we, we we're still very much focused on on, on the types of businesses we want yeah. to support yeah yeah Absolutely. So as regular listeners know, I'm an avid reader and always out looking for books through or suggestions for books that I can read. Anything out there you like and would recommend? Uh, now, this is actually, this is a few years old now, and you've probably heard this a few times, Brian, but um, there was a recent, uh, televised recently, there was a recent um, series made on, I think Bad Blood's fantastic book for oh, yes. everything that can go, can go wrong in, 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 uh, in equity investing. And I think it's, you know, it's a true story. And it's quite an incredible story when you read about how um, a company can receive hundreds of million pounds of funding mm-hmm. when there actually was no product and it was all it was all it was all a you know mm-hmm. pie in the sky idea but i was it was a book that i read I, it's a few years ago now it must be two or three years ago i read that and it's one that i couldn't put down and i think that for anybody working in the vc uh, area or anybody looking for uh, don't get any ideas from it if you're looking for funding but i just <laughs> think it's a, it's you know it's 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 a it's a it's a great book about you know how sometimes even some of the massive big US mm-hmm. tech fund managers can can get it all all totally mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah, I, I've read a few of these sort of disaster business disaster yes. books over the last few years, and that is still, I think, the best. Yeah, I think that's a great. I think that's a fantastic book. Yeah, so that'd probably be the one, mm-hmm. um, the one that I would, off the top of my head, I would, I would mention. Yes. No. I, th- I think he even suggested it to my students last year. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So. Um, so yes, uh, I don't know if any of them actually read it, but <laughs> I, I thought yeah, it was, no. it, it's a really good example of what can or can't go wrong. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So yes. Um, what do you wish you knew when you started with Maven that you know now? Hey, what did I? What do I wish I knew? I mean, gosh, you know, you're you're learning all the time, aren't you? I suppose you go you go into you go into you go into private equity and venture capital as as younger, more naive, and I suppose then you're a bit more uh, you're a bit more positive about how things could work out, and if things weren't going to plan, you would always give give teams the benefit of the doubt, and you know hope that things that things would would recover or improve. And I think now. A few grey hairs, older and wiser. I think when things aren't when things aren't working and things aren't going to plan, you need to you need to make changes. You need to make changes quickly. And I think if you do that, then it can make a huge difference. If you if you decide to let things fester, then 
inevitably won't work out. So, uh-huh. and and sometimes you've got to make really difficult decisions. And I, you know, and and I think maybe that just comes from experience. But you know, I, I I unfortunately have had to change change teams. And maybe maybe it's not maybe in the world we work in, it's not actually that a CEO is 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 bad. But it might be it might be as the business grows that is no longer a suitable role for that mm-hmm. person, and they're much better as either continuing with product development or or sales and and focus mm-hmm. on that. But 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 don't be that but don't be that mm-hmm. CEO. And and you know you are great developing the product, you are great selling it. Go back to doing that and get you know we'll, we'll get somebody else in that can that can be the CEO, which you know, can be sometimes a really difficult and lonely mm-hmm. place. So I think for me is when things don't aren't going to plan and aren't working out it's it's make make a change make it and make it quickly mm-hmm. presumably that's a, a challenging thing to do in practice because it's it because you naturally want to give people the benefit of the doubt you know we you know as individuals we want people to be successful and we want people to um to win and 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 and, and sometimes it can be yeah it can be challenging to to, to actually say Right. This is this isn't this isn't working out. We need we need to make a change here. Yeah, yeah. And even that, it's all you know. Whether it's a big blip, or actually, this is something that's maybe not terminal, but you know, it's something that you know we're not going to reverse unless there's a change. That's yeah. all, that's not always the easiest thing to assess either. It's it, it's not absolutely it's not. So that that's that's probably the thing that um, you know if you look if I look back you know. 14, 15 years ago and, and and now that yeah that that would be the one thing that I would mm-hmm. I would say and, and what what I do say to people as they come into as they come in and, and of course you see you know you see people joining the team and they're always very very optimistic and they look at business plans and you know mm-hmm. they think oh wow that's going to be the next the next sky scanner which was mm-hmm. you know a brilliant sort of success story and you know you've 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 sometimes got to say listen you need to be really objective here and mm-hmm. don't think that everything's going to be you know it's going to be a a billion dollar business because you know almost all of them won't be it's a very very small minority and you need to think really objectively about the the business the market operates in and, and the team you're backing so mm-hmm. um you, you inevitably as you join a, a new a new sector you 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 have you have um optimism uh but you need to have you need to have some healthy skepticism as well yes 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 it's it's, it's the tracking that balance is uh, absolutely is this is the, is the ideal so if people want to find out more about what you're doing at maven where should they go yeah i mean our website and um, if you if you go into our website and um, mavencp.com um, you can find out about all the things we do there we're also very active on social channels um, on linkedin um, so you, you can follow us there um, there would be the two the two places that i would i would recommend you go to Okay, we shall post links in the show notes so people can find them even easier. Don't even need to go go to Google. Excellent. So thank you very much for coming on today, Ewan. I've really enjoyed our chat. Thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. It was excellent. So thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed the discussion with Ewan. There's always an element of it depends on which company, but I think you've covered a lot of ground very well. As usual, you can get full show notes with links at harbinandco.com forward slash podcast. You can also subscribe directly on all good podcast services and players or through the link in the show notes. If you liked what you hear, then please give us a review with lots of stars on your favourite podcast app. We can be contacted at inquiries at Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks' time.